being a lay community um, and really steeped in a uh, Theravada tradition, Thai forest in our um, case out of Thailand, it's a really unique position to be in. Uh, we're sort of building the ship and sailing it and there's holes to be plugged and um, a lot of what we do here, <clears throat> we're, I wouldn't say we're making it up, but we're creating, we're trying to create sort of, um, oh, you know, rituals that um, honor the tradition, that honor the lineage, but also work for lay people, work for the community um, that are inspiring, uh, but also welcoming and inviting all the things. And so uh, it's really important, um, I think, to be willing to try things out, you know, just try them on, see how they feel, check in, and then uh, adjust and keep moving forward. Tuesday is, uh, Tuesday is a Sala Puja. So it's, it's a one of the holy days in this tradition, in the Buddhist tradition that's celebrated by Buddhists around the world, especially Theravada Buddhists around the world. <clears throat> and it commemorates the Buddha's first teaching uh, after his enlightenment. So, uh, you know, this is, I, I can't verify that <laughs> these events when they took place and, and um, that they're all true um, the way they happened. Um, but uh, for my purposes, um, these stories are, uh, they're, they've lasted this many years because they're useful, you know, they're skillful to remember. And uh, uh, so the story goes, you know, truncated, the Buddha um, sort of broke away, let go of his ascetic practices, stopped starving himself, um, ate a beautiful meal offered to him by a lay woman, uh, had some more energy for practice, uh, sat down and um, uh, <clears throat> released himself from suffering. Now that's another holiday, but what happened next <laughs> uh, was he, he went wandering as uh, monks and uh, nuns in this tradition do and as spiritual seekers did far before the Buddha, you know. He, uh, he came across a, uh, a fellow on his, on his path that uh, noticed kind of his composure, his dignity, how he's carrying himself. There was a radiance. Uh, this is what we call a heavenly messenger. You see somebody, they look amazing, you know, <laughs> beautiful, composed, pulled together, radiant. You kind of want to know what's going on there. <laughs> what's going on there? You know, in today's world, it might be like, you know, what's your moisturizer? But, <laughs> 
But in this story, <laughs> the question was, who's your teacher? Who's your teacher? Who did you learn? Whatever you've come to know, who did you learn it from? And the Buddha said something uh, to the effect of, um, that nobody, I became enlightened on my own. <laughs> I'm the only Buddha in the world. <laughs> Uh, and on from there. And, uh, and the fellow who asked him was like, okay. <laughs> and sort of said something along the lines of, uh, well, you know, may that be true, may you be well, <laughs> and moved on. <laughs> it's a little bit like, you know, what might happen on a, uh, in Pioneer Square or something. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm enlightened. Would you like to hear the good news? <laughs> Nobody taught me any of this. <laughs> you might think, no, <laughs> maybe later. Actually, let's step back. And so that actually happened to the Buddha, you know, according to the canon. And so then he thought, I just, I'm not going to teach. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I don't know how to do this. I, I, I realized this kind of, um, this, teaching for myself, but no one's going to understand it. And um, ultimately, he did end up meeting up with uh, his five previous spiritual companions uh, and um, giving a talk about what he had realized, what he had learned, what he had realized for himself. And they did understand, it did make sense. His framework um, was uh, clear and understandable. It was sensible. It was based on um, even uh, sort of a, a real common framework of the day uh, that was used in medicine. There's a problem, <laughs> there's a... Um, a cause for the problem, you know, there's a sickness, there's a disease, there's a cause for the sickness or disease. Uh, there's a, um, a way out, you know, there's a cure, there's something to be done here. And uh, there's a prognosis, you know, you uh, can overcome this. Uh, so his first, um, his first talk encompassed the Four Noble Truths, you know, that there is suffering, uh, that there's a cause for suffering, that causes sort of clinging to the way we want things to be, pushing away what we don't like, what we don't want, what's uncomfortable, um, the the cure, so to speak, is the Noble Eightfold Path, which is maybe beyond the scope of this talk, uh, not beyond the scope of this uh, human mind and heart. And uh, then that there is an end of suffering. So that's, I suppose, the good news is that, you know, 
with a you know certain capacity of the human mind uh, that we can realize the teachings for ourselves as well and be free from suffering. Uh, somebody mentioned to me recently that they weren't sure about, you know, uh, enlightenment. You know, is that is that a possibility for human the human mind, the human heart, enlightenment? And what I consider to be enlightenment, you know, in terms of. Uh, my learning and my growing and my consulting with teachers um, much, much further down the path is the ability to respond appropriately within all conditions. And not just outwardly, but inwardly. The heart responds appropriately the mind responds appropriately, the body responds appropriately. <clears throat> and thus, there's no suffering. We're not suffering with our conditions. There is uh, an observation of the conditions, there's a recognizing of the conditions. Uh, there's a, uh, an, an awareness of our conditions of what we like, what we don't like, what's irritating, what's lovely, um, but it's an unentangled awareness. Yeah. Do I need to do something about this? Yes, let's get into it. Yeah. Can I let it go? Absolutely. No need to worry about that and so on. Does something need to be adjusted? Yes. Let's adjust it from a place of goodwill, compassion, joy, appreciation, kindness, balance, equanimity. There's a lot of other places uh, to come from in terms of it's time to make a change. Yeah. <laughs> we can come from anger, we can come from frustration, we can come from ill will, we can come from annoyance. Uh, you may have heard of these things. It's probably not just me, but it's definitely me. <laughs> it's these kind of uh, um, unskillful emotions and states of being have a lot of energy, right? So we see them come up. We think, oh, that's, that's got a lot of energy. I'm going to use that. I'm going to use it. Well, it's like the energy of a, you know, uh, plow <laughs> or an energy of a, a sledgehammer, the energy of a tiger. Uh, but that energy, that energy doesn't get the job done in a way that um, leads to good results, at least in this framework. Oh. There's this wonderful story. I've been listening to these great, just re-listening probably for the eighth time to these great talks by uh, Ajahn Amaro. He did the series of talks on non-contention and they led to a, a booklet about metta. 
and they're just wonderful. And he really does just kind of pierce the uh, pierce the heart. Uh, he gets right to the heart of goodwill and metta and what that means and how it can look. And he tells this great story about uh, Sharon Salzberg was talking to Deepa Ma, one of her teachers, and Sharon had been um, traveling in India and she'd been harassed sort of by men on the street and had a couple of really uncomfortable um, encounters. And she was getting angry, she's getting frustrated. It was really hard. And she asked her teacher, you know, what do I do? You know, when this happens to me, what should I be doing? And, and Deepa Ma said, <clears throat> ground yourself completely and thoroughly in goodwill. And then whack them on the top of the head <laughs> with your umbrella. <laughs> it's fierce <laughs> and necessary. <laughs> <laughs> do you have to come from a place of anger deepa ma might say no are you carrying an umbrella that could come in use <laughs> might as well <laughs> so really you know what we see on the outside with other people say we don't always know what's going on underneath we just don't we don't know what people's intentions are. We can't always tell. You know, somebody hitting somebody with an umbrella. <laughs> or Sharon Salzberg hitting somebody with an umbrella. <laughs> there might be something really different going on underneath. You know, she's defending. Now, now I'm extrapolating from here, but you know, one is defending oneself against being assaulted. But is one angry? Maybe not. It's hard to even imagine defending oneself against assault without being angry. I think maybe it's possible. And the reason that I think that is because, you know, I'm surrounded by teachers uh, and I draw upon the wisdom of people who've been doing this a really, really long time. And I see that. What's this radiance? <laughs> What's this lack of suffering? What's this composure? What is it? Uh, tell me more. So asking. <clears throat> and then seeing for myself incremental results of doing the practice. Well, I think enlightenment is possible because I'm a little bit happier than I was. 19 years ago. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Find something really, um, uh, really skillful to do with your mind and then do it for like 30 years. <laughs> and then check in. <laughs> Am I on a path? <laughs> Are things moving in the right direction? That's why it's useful to do this for a long time, because otherwise it's hard to tell <laughs> whether it's going well or not. <laughs> because we're like this. Yeah, I like this. So then we have to look over time. What is the trajectory, the ups and downs? They're probably smoothing out over time, but you can't tell if you look at this piece of the graph, you know, it just looks like this. This piece of the graph looks like this. Right? So keeping this long view. 
we have a um, we have a couple of classes coming up, an introduction of meditation class, uh, which I'll be teaching with Stephanie and uh, Jim will be stewarding it. So it's a little bit of a dream team going on there. <laughs> Uh, but one of the one of the things that we talk about in that class, and then it sort of carries over to a class we're having in December uh, on metta, on loving kindness, is what to do with the mind. What do we do? What do we do with it? How can we actually start to um, bring up these wholesome mind states, maintain them, let go of unwholesome mind states, prevent them from arising. Meditation, you know, it's people say I can't meditate. Some people say I can't meditate because I can't still my mind. Yeah, well, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard to still our minds. The point is, uh, not to still our mind, at least in the beginning, the point is to figure out what to do with all of that stuff <laughs> in there. So directing the mind instead toward what is beautiful, directing the mind toward what is useful and letting go of what isn't. Uh, like with loving kindness, the cause, according to this tradition, the cause, there's a cause for loving kindness. There's, there's a cause, there's something that brings up loving kindness in the heart. Are you excited? I was. What is it? What is it? It's seeing the goodness in others. It's seeing the goodness in others. It's not wishing people well all day long. Maybe well, maybe well, maybe, you know, that can help. But actually what we have to do to, to have goodwill arise naturally in the heart is to look for what is good in other people, in other situations, in our conditions, in other beings. So we don't have to wish them well. We have to find what's good. And that's a different kind of work. It's a different kind of work. And um, the results are astounding. So. I can't remember, I think it was Ajahn Longpursumato. You know, he was talking, you know, he uses, what I love about Longpursumato is that he uses a lot of um, stories from his own life, but then he also uses kind of these interesting extreme uh, examples just to kind of drive the point home. And he was talking about, I can't remember who, like a despot, right? In, the, <laughs> in Southeast Asia. And, and, uh, and he said, you know, he was like, He's, maybe he's good to his dog, you know? Maybe he feeds his dog. Right? He was just illustrating, maybe he isn't good to his dog. You know, most despots aren't probably. But his point was that we, if we look hard enough, we can see what is good. And that can build, start to build the habit of goodwill, which then you know, spreads. And we start to see more good. It's weird, but true, you know? Oh, oh, that, that person's kind of nice, actually. Or they have some skills in this area. Or um, I never noticed how sweet they are to their parents. Or, you know, we start to kind of, once we have some goodwill kind of worked up for another person, 
uh, we start to see all these other things that are very sweet and good about them. And then lo and behold, that kindness in some cases starts to come back at us. Oh, what is it? They didn't change. I changed. I stopped creating them in my mind as a negative evil person. How's that feeling when I see them now in the room? It feels, pretty, it feels better. And then just maybe I'll leave it with um, compassion. It's very similar. So the proximate cause of compassion, like true compassion, unentangled compassion. What's the cause of unentangled compassion? The seeing suffering seeing suffering, seeing the suffering of others, seeing the suffering in a situation. And we might think that we're seeing suffering, but not all suffering tends to bring up compassion, does it? Because we don't see it as suffering, we see it as an attack. So you see a kitten laying over here with a broken leg. <laughs> you go toward it, you wanna help it, you pick it up, you pet it, you feed it, you take it to the vet, whatever. Um, but if a person is coming at me with a bat, that's still suffering. It's their suffering. It doesn't feel the same way as a kitten with a broken leg, but it's suffering. And so if we can see it as their suffering, it's much harder, much more difficult. There's a whole range in between, <laughs> whole range. Uh, then compassion comes up. Compassion comes up. Oh, they're really suffering. Oh, that's really hard. People are going to suffer because of their suffering. Uh, but it's still suffering. <clears throat> uh, so, you know, I'll leave it at that. Uh, the Buddha's first teaching is... Um, uh, the, known as sort of uh, putting the wheel of Dhamma into motion. I keep pointing at this because we have a chant that's based on it. It's, um, it's worth looking up. It kind of, it, it really lays out uh, the Four Noble Truths and how to develop them and all three of their aspects, the Noble full Path. And uh, it's really the full teaching of this religion, of this tradition of um, what the Buddha uh, realized and then brought into the world. Uh, so worth taking a look at.